um, let us uh, open this this, this uh, meeting in, in a word of prayer, please. Thou one true and eternally living and ever-blessed Jehovah, Thou who art the creating spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Unto thee, O God, upon thy day uh, do we lift up our prayer and pray, O Lord, for thee to have mercy upon us and to forgive us our sins. We have and we do sin against Thee, but we thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy grace, whereby those of us who are saved are saved, and that we have the righteousness of Christ, that we have the love of God, that we may call Thee our Heavenly Father. And Lord, as we open up Thy Word, as we consider more of a portion of the full counsel of God, we pray for thy help, help in hearing and understanding and applying the word, that we be not hearers only, but doers also, and the much help that is needed in opening up uh, thy word and thy truth, uh, given unto me, will thou grant it, Lord, and may thy name be glorified. May Christ take more form within us. Lord, may we glorify him on his day. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you open your copies of God's Word to the New Testament? And near the end of the New Testament, uh, Paul's epistle to the Hebrews. And chapter 4. Paul's epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 4, and we'll read the first 11 verses together. So if we go to the... Um, Hebrews and chapter Hebrews chapter 4, we read the first 11 verses. So reading from verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, 
and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, that is, Joshua, who led them into the promised land, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Amen. And I'd just like to read to you the fourth commandment again, and we'll take it from question 57 of the Shorter Catechism, which is the fourth commandment. And the answer is, the fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And that's just a, a brief reminder of the, the fourth commandment. You might be thinking to yourself, uh, surely we looked at question 57 two weeks ago, and now we're back in question 57. Well, we had a discussion with some of our younger adults last, uh, maybe last Tuesday or last Lord's Day evening, and uh, the issue of dispensational Baptists uh, cropped up in the, in, in the discussion, uh, specifically their view of the moral law and more specifically their view of the fourth commandment. And to be even more precise, it was preaching by John MacArthur and John MacArthur uh, on this subject and, and he, it was regarding his attempt to say that the Christian Lord's Day is different from the biblical Sabbath. And he was going so far as to say that the idea of a day of rest was no longer a moral duty in the same way. So let us, I thought it would be wise to take some time to look at the Bible in its entirety to see what all the Bible says, because the problem with dispensationalism is that it chops the Bible up into sections and periods and whatever, and actually takes what the meaning of dispensation is completely out of its context, with the meaning of the word out of its context, and then the Bible out of its context. The Bible teaches us about periods. We don't put a template uh, or a cookie cutter on the Bible and say, well, it has to mean this, and if it falls out of the shape, then it must be something different. The, the Bible teaches us. There's very clearly, clearly, if we just want to talk about dispensations, that there's very clearly a time before sin when all was holy and innocent. There is a time after the fall. 
And that's what we're in now. So there's two large dispensations. There is a time, a third, if we want to talk about a dispensation, but I wouldn't use that word in this context. So we have a period before sin, we have a period full of sin, that's now we're in, we have the whole of the scriptures revealed, including uh, that first period. And then we have the eternal period, the eternal age, which is yet to break. Now what do we understand about those things? Well, we, we, we can't go into too much detail at the moment, but in this period of sin, when man has fallen, indeed, if we look at the scriptures, we do see that there are certain periods. So there's a, there's a, a period after the fall, um, we could call the patriarchal period. We could uh, call it the post-fall, pre-Mosaic period. And then there's clearly a time when the people are delivered out of Egypt and are brought before Sinai and are received as the people of God, and there's a formal giving of the Lord in a covenantal way to his people. That's, a, a, an, again, a, a, another period, but not for all of mankind. Mankind is still in this, in general, is still in this state of sin and misery, and yet we see the work of grace, even in Abel, even in Adam and Eve, immediately after the fall, by the way. So we do see grace through, through, throughout the whole of history. We see it at work in, in, in Abraham. We see it in Job, be, probably before the time of Abraham, although we read it afterwards. Yeah. And we see uh, the Lord taking this people who were guilty of idolatry, and in the 40 years, as we've just read in Hebrews 4, were again guilty of idolatry, and yet there is a gracious move of God. And so we have the, what we call the Mosaic period. Again, you could look at different periods in the Mosaic period. If we want to look at ages, we want to look at things like this. And so in the Mosaic period, just to give this, this uh, overview, just to ensure that we run over, <laughs> but we have in the Mosaic period, uh, immediately uh, in the, after the wanderings, we have a 40-year wandering period. And then we have the time of the taking in of the land under, under Joshua. Again, that's a, 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 a portion of years, and I can't remember how many, maybe another 50 years. And then we have the time of the judges. And then the times of the judges ends, and in some ways Samuel is the last judge and uh, the first prophet under the first king. So that's a bit of an overlap period. Are we allowed overlap periods in dispensationalism? I don't know. But we're not looking at dispensationalism. We're looking at the periods that are clearly in the Bible. And then we have the time of the kingdom. So we have two kings of the United Kingdom, and then we have the split kingdom. Again, that's another period. Then we have the captivity of Israel, the northern kingdom, and then 150 or so years later, we have the captivity of the southern kingdom. Then we have what we would call the intertestamental period, 400 years after, after Malachi spoke his last word uh, and, until there's a voice calling in the desert. As far as we're concerned, as far as the, or so it should say, as far as the prophetic word that was heard in the, in the land of Israel. Of course, when we have the opening up of that, uh, of that uh, period of the New Testament, of the incarnation and the ministry of Christ. Uh, so we have, that, we have the New Testamental period that would include the ministry of the apostles that would go up to maybe 70 uh, AD with the fall of Jerusalem and the curse of Christ upon the temple uh, being fulfilled. And then we have the, the New Testament church continuing until the Lord's return. Those are the most simple and most biblical understanding of periods. 
Dispensation does not mean period. It does not mean a time period or a block of time at all. Dispensation <coughs> is simply a dispensing of something, a handing out of something. And we use the word dispensation in the understanding of the dispensation of God's grace toward man. Initially, and it is grace uh, to some degree, is the covenant of life towards man before the fall. That there's a relationship with a creature. Did that creature deserve that relationship? No. So there is a, there is a gracious aspect to it, but man breaks it and becomes guilty uh, before God. But when we consider... Uh, but let's, let's go after the fall to have a fuller understanding of what grace is. That grace is at work in sinners. And we've already looked at it. Um, we've seen that in Adam and Eve. We've seen that in, in Abel. Uh, we've seen that in Seth and in the line of Seth going up to Noah. We see, we see the saving grace that's at work. And we understand when we come to Abraham that Abraham receives clear covenants and promises. Um, but we, as we go through the Old Testament and we see that these laws and there's a civil law for the nation of Israel because there was no nation before Moses or before Sinai and Moses but then it was needed, a civil law there was a tabernacle service set up again at that time so then there's a ritual law and the moral law which the Lord reveals to us was put into man's heart from the very beginning is then formally written down and given to the people of God. But again, it's still a matter of grace to repent and to believe. And if we're unsure about that, and the dispensationalists are, depending on which group they belong to, Romans 4 teaches us very clearly that Abraham, under a dispensation of grace, is saved by grace. He's saved by faith. By faith alone he is justified before God. And so to the New Testament church, Paul writing to the Gentiles in Rome, saying, Abraham, a Jew, is saved by the same gospel that will save you. So there's one gospel. But we understand there are, let's say, uh, two dispensations, maybe three dispensations. Say so before the time of Moses, then the, then the whole of the Old Testament under Moses, and then the New Testament we could say that. But let's use the language of the Scriptures themselves. That's the safest. There is the old covenant dispensation of grace, and there is a new covenant dispensation of grace. Then, although we can see differentiations, we can see periods in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, let's just keep it to the biblical language, then we won't trip over our own cleverness, as dispensationalists can often do. Does that mean that everything that Mr. MacArthur preaches is wrong? No, no. But he has a tradition. He has a dispensational Baptistic tradition, and he keeps to it mostly. Did we not look out recently in Mark 7 uh, that the, the, the traditions of man um, <laughs> putting aside uh, the word and the law of God? And he says that. I can't remember the quote exactly. So, to spare you my bad memory and to feed you correctly. Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Something we must all be aware of. So we've now just spent some time looking at periods, are not dispensations. 
two dispensations in the Bible. And so uh, the reason why they would come to that conclusion is because they've come with this whole framework. They put it on the Bible, and then the Bible, even through the middle of verses, even through the middle of books, even through the middle of chapters, has to be split up according to, as I said, an overly clever uh, system, which I would then call a corrupt hermeneutic. What's a hermeneutic? Is your method of biblical interpretation. And I touched upon it, was it last week? I think I may have done last week that we have that uh, um, historical, grammatical understanding of the Scriptures. They are written in a historical context. They are using language and words within that context. Uh, and that's, that's our basis of our understanding of the Word. And then we understand, well, how do we understand it today? How do we apply it today? And so that comes out of it as, as further spiritual understanding and personal application. So in letting the Bible speak about Sabbath-keeping then for the people of God, at all ages, we will today look at the Old Testament background. I was hoping to do it all in one go, but as I was working my way through it, I'm gonna have to, it's going to have to be two teachings, just as a, a slight um, annex to, to our working our way through the Shorter Catechism. And so our verse then uh, is Hebrews 4 and verse 9, uh, which we read, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And, and we touched upon that last week, and saying that word rest is a di completely different word uh, to all the other uh, words that uh, are translated as rest in English in verses 1 to 10. Uh, we may not have mentioned this, but they all, they all give us a word that means to stop, to cease. Where we get the English word pause is from this exact same Greek word. And then in verse 11, we get this different word, which is sabbatismos. Um, or we might say in English, sabbath, sabbathism. Uh, and what that meant in Greek was the keeping of a sabbath, the keeping of the weekly sabbath. Uh, and interestingly enough, there was an influence on the Greek language, um, even before the New Testament time, where they would use the word sabbath or sabbatos as, as meaning every seven or seventh, even though they had a word for seven. So there was an interesting influence uh, that we have in, uh, in New Testament uh, Greek that you'd even find in older dictionaries. And so, uh, so we touched upon this then, that you could translate that word rest in verse 9, sorry, I thought it was verse 11, verse 9, there remaineth therefore a Sabbath keeping to the people of God. And so we'll examine that background to the Christian Sabbath. There is a background, there's a whole, whole, whole background uh, 4,000 years before we get to the Christian Sabbath. So uh, we'll look at that this week then, uh, the background to the Christian Sabbath. Uh, with that subtitle, there remaineth a Sabbath keeping. And so firstly then, as we're going, it's all the historical periods. Uh, we have the Sabbath of the pre-fall period, the Sabbath. There was a Sabbath in Eden, before the fall, before there was sin. So we're going back to the very beginning of time, to the pre-fall World, And we discover this, that the Sabbath is present in a world wherein there is no sin and there is no rebellion. And you might think to yourself, well, what was need of a, of a Sabbath? Well, apparently there was. Even in this state of innocence and holiness, God designed it that there would be one day in seven 
for arresting from Adam and Eve and all their progeny, uh, arresting from holy labors to have a time of holy fellowship. Even in that, even in that time of, of perfection that we can barely understand. Yes, intellectually we, we, we can grasp the principle, but to understand that there is just no sin, nothing stood between man and God. And yet even then, God would say, put down the gardening tools. Put that down. Put it aside. Stop it. And spend one whole day with me. But isn't he in the presence of God all the time? Yes, as every Christian today is in the presence of God. And yet God still says, put your tools down. Spend one whole day with me. And of course, with all those that are having that fellowship with me. And so if we were to read from Genesis chapter 2, we will see as the account of the seventh day of the sixth day creation, and then we come to the seventh day, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them in six 24-hour days. There's nothing to suggest anything else in the scriptures. And then we come to the seventh day, and it says on the seventh day God ended, he had already ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Not resting because he was fatigued, mm. but resting as in the, that understanding of the word, he stopped. He ceased from creating new things. Of course, creation continued because that's how he'd created it, for it to continue to move forward under his providential power, yeah, which sustains creation. But his creating act had being completed and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made so God didn't need to did not need to rest because he was fatigued he did it to celebrate creation and that is an understanding of the old testament um, sabbath by the way it is a resting of works it is a resting of, of, of labor. It is a, a, a completion of creation. God rested, gave the example, and had that first day of rest with Adam and Eve. But now, that ancient truth is reaffirmed by Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament. And he, he gives it, he helps us to understand this. Mark 2 and verse 27, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mm. So it's a completely different understanding. Is the Lord made the Sabbath for the good of man? Man wasn't created and then sort of as a round peg forced into a square hole of the Sabbath, which is often a sinful attitude that we have. No, the Sabbath was made for man, and we see where it was made. It was made there, we saw very clearly in chapter 2 of Genesis, and verses 1 to 3. So the Sabbath was made for man, it is made for man. Man is still here, and the Sabbath is still given. And again, as I said, it was made for man in Eden. But we understand that even though that man fell, the Sabbath was still there for him. The Sabbath was still given to man, commanded to man, made clear to man, taught to man, and it still is. 
And then what did that day then mean? What was that day? Well, that day was a special day. It was a blessed day. It was the day that God blessed apart from all the other days. Was there no blessing from God on the other days? Of course there was. But there is a blessing of fellowship with God. God rests, as it were, from his labors to spend time with his people who rest from their labors to spend time with their God. That is a very simple principle, and it is made for you. Now, if you struggle against Sabbath-keeping, maybe you just don't understand what the Bible says about it. The laws of God, the commandments of God are not grievous. If you're making them grievous, well, then you're stepping out of the, of the law or maybe becoming a Pharisee in some way. But there is a joy to have a rest from all those things which are in and of themselves sinless and good, but are a distraction. We'll, we'll come to that. I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. But the day itself is not a means of grace, but it is a means of the means of grace. Yeah, it's the day set aside that Christ says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst, in a very special way. Through the word, through the gathering of the people, through public prayer, through the opening up of the word, through singing his, his praises, and, and as we hope to do this evening, in sharing in the sacraments. So even though when man has fallen, that means of grace is, is still there. If only man would make, sorry, the means of the means of grace is still there. If only man would make proper use of it. And so, as I mentioned, the Jewish Sabbath is based upon the idea of the completion of creation, which is different uh, from the New Testament uh, Sabbath, but we will look at that in due course. The Lord made all things in the space of six days and all very good, and then he rested from his work of creation. And how did he rest? By having fellowship with his own people. That's the heart of Sabbath-keeping, is enjoying and delighting in a personal, family, um, public fellowship and worship of God, if we can understand that. So that's the Sabbath of the pre-fall period, and then we look briefly at the Sabbath of the post-fall, pre-Mosaic period, which I said we could call the patriarchal period. Interesting enough, there's nothing explicitly mentioned in this period, until we get to the end of it, uh, about the two covenantal signs given to man in Eden. Two covenantal signs were given. Uh, first was marriage, and secondly is the Sabbath. And as we come out and into the Old Testament, and as more things are opened up, and there's more things revealed, uh, that we understand much more about the Sabbath as a covenantal sign. When we get into the New Testament, there is opened up more and more the understanding that marriage is a covenantal sign to God's people. Of course, there is on both sides. Both elements are shown, but there is a, a concentration and they both point to the relationship between God and his people. Hence, the use of the word covenantal. They're both about relationship, and as we understand that mystery of marriage is revealed more fully in Ephesians chapter 5, that it is of, of, of Christ the bridegroom and his church, Old and New Testament church together, making one bride. One bride. In any case, so, uh, uh, you know, we, we can see that. We know that people still got married. And therefore, we may also, in, in the Old Testament, in the patriarchal period, people certainly got married. We may therefore also infer 
that they kept the Sabbath. And you say, well, that's not enough information. That's not enough data for me to go on. I said, well, fair enough, but we will come to um, some clearer information and something that will confirm that assumption that I've just made. Because towards the end of that patriarchal period, even though Moses is alive, the people have been brought out of, uh, of captivity, and yet they have not been given the law yet. They have not, the, it's actually four chapters from the giving of the Ten Commandments of them standing at the foot of, um, them standing at the foot of Sinai. Four chapters away from that. Uh, in fact, it's on the sixth day after that they have been given manna from heaven. So very early on in the wanderings, before they even get to Sinai, and they're hungry, so they've crossed the Red Sea already, and they're making their way to Sinai, and the Lord gives them bread from heaven. He gives them manna. And so he's done it one day, he's done it two days, he's done it on the third day, and, the fourth. and then on the sixth day, we read, as I said, four chapters before the giving of the moral law, in Exodus 16, 22 and 23, we read this. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers uh, for one man, that's two measures of, of the manna, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, because Moses hadn't said anything about this beforehand. And he said unto them, this is, which, this is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that, that is boil, that you will seethe. And that which remaineth over, lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So without being told about the Jewish Sabbath, still at four chapters, or how many days that might be before the Lord appeared on Sinai, and, and, and the, the whole of that... Uh, uh, fear-inducing and awe-inspiring uh, awe display of his power and his presence before the people, the people were keeping the Sabbath, but they were preparing for the Sabbath. It was a very obvious thing that the people of God were preparing. And so they knew that they, would, they wouldn't spend on the Sabbath day time to grind the manna and to make it into, into paste and make it into pasta to boil it or to make it into a bread to bake it. They wouldn't do that. They would do that on the sixth day. So they gathered twice as much to prepare it, to have it ready. And the Jewish rulers were surprised at this. Um, maybe saying something about the godlessness of the Jewish rulers. But they were surprised that they were people were doing something uh, that Moses had not clearly said. Well, Moses hadn't said it. The people would not break the Sabbath. So that what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that that points to a very clear uh, fact that the people knew of the Sabbath before the Lord commanded it. In fact, the wording of the fourth commandment also proves that because the Lord doesn't say, thou shalt keep the weekly Sabbath. He says, remember it, something you've already done. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So things that were already in existence and uh, they were to maintain, we have that different wording. Or so to say, not those things that were in existence, those things that they were already clearly keeping, well, they were remembering to maintain that keeping of it. So that's the Sabbath of the pre-fall period, the Sabbath of the Mosaic, of the patriarchal period, and then we have the Sabbath of the Mosaic period, the, the, what we might consider the Old Testament in, in Sabbath. And then four chapters later in Exodus 20, God speaks with his own voice into the ears of his own people. Again, we have that, that intimacy, we have that personal approach. 
You say, well, he's already set up Moses as his, as his mediator. That's true, and yet it's still the privilege of the Lord to speak his moral standards into the, into the ears of his own people. And so the, the Ten Commandments were given to the people, and, and as I've mentioned already, the, this giving of the commandments was an establishing of, a, of his covenant publicly with his people at Sinai. And if we were to read the, the rest of the books of Moses, especially from Exodus 20 on, Exodus 20, uh, there would be something of it in Leviticus, there'd be something of it in Numbers, and again a repeating of some aspects in Deuteronomy. Uh, then there are, I would suggest, there are two principles that are emphasized and taught in all the remainder of the Mosaic Law on the Sabbath. And it's not the only place there are prophets that speak of this. Isaiah speaks a number of times on the, uh, on the, on the Sabbath. We'll look at that very briefly. But there are two main principles that are emphasized and taught in the Old Testament, and they, they, are, they are principles um, that, that carry over. They carry over because there is a Sabbath-keeping, there remaineth a Sabbath-keeping to the people of God. So the first of these principles is a day of distractions to be removed. A day when distractions are removed is probably better said. Where all distractions, anything that's unnecessary for... Everything that's, anything that is unnecessary for the sustaining of your life and for public worship um, is to be removed. So if we just slip in very quickly, there are things that are necessary for life. Uh, there, are thing, there are acts of mercy to help others as regards to the sustaining and the prolonging of their lives or even of animals. So there are acts of necessity and mercy, but they are the exceptions, and God willing, we'll be looking at those in a number of weeks' time, that there are clear exceptions, but those exceptions do not, contra do not contradict the rule. They confirm the principle of the rule. It is about life. It is about it's, it's about life with God life under God, relationship with God, and there are things that God lays on our paths that we also must deal with. We, we, we have to sleep, we have to keep ourselves warm, we have to, we have to eat, uh, we have to help those who are sick. In, in, in God's providential um, givings, there are times when we may have to uh, not go to uh, church uh, because um, we've had a massive leak in the house or something and there's water damage and, and so something has to be done to, to, to you know, find the, the cock stop and turn it off and, and do some things uh, to minimize the damage and, if you, you know, and, and that might take 20 minutes, that might take five hours. But really it is, it's a day of rest from the unnecessary menial tasks and the unnecessary laborious tasks. So the, 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 you know, the spring cleaning of the house does not get done on the Sabbath because he's given you six days to do that. It's not a necessary task. You lay aside the menial tasks and the, the tasks of labor. Even entertainment and sport are unnecessary distractions. If you are, maybe I'll bring it down to the human level. If, if you are on a, a, a date with your beloved, yeah, but, but you're getting phone calls from your work, and you're dealing with issues, and then, and then as, you, uh, as you go into the car to drive off uh, uh, to go for a meal or go for a day out, um, 
and then you see something with a car and you think, oh, that's really irritating me. And then you spend an hour sort of cleaning that rust off and then putting some primer on because, you know, now's as good a time as any. And then three hours later, you, you, you know, you, you get into the car again and, and you, you drive off and you see somebody you've been meaning to speak to for a while and just, and then he asks you to do something and you just say, hang on a second. And, and before you know it, are all those things wrong? No. But they distract from your date with your beloved. And this is why the Lord says that we're to move distractions out of the day, that we can have that day of rest with him, for he has, he has, as it, he has apportioned that day and he has blessed it for his own people to gather close to him, as it were, his arms are open um, to embrace his people. And that's where his people should be, in the Lord's embrace. Yes, they've got other things to do, and he's given us six days to do them. So a day when distractions are to be removed, and it's a day when devotions are to be received. A day when devotions are to be received, which I've just sort of uh, summed up with the open arms. It's because we have the distractions removed out of the way that we now have the time and the opportunity uh, to spend time with the Lord. Remember when we were just hinting at uh, Christian fasting? Uh, maybe last week or the week before, just hinting at Christian fasting. The idea of Christian fasting is not to be a Pharisee that you can pat yourself on the back and look down upon other Christians. That's not, sab that's not fasting. Fasting is, is you lay aside the preparation uh, and the eating and the cleaning up of food, and that saves you maybe four hours a day in total. And those four hours you can then devote, even though you might still be working, but then you devote that time to the reading of the Scriptures and to prayer. And that's the, that's the great thing about fasting, is that it gives you more opportunity to spend that time of, of personal devotion with God. That's what the weekly Sabbath does. That's exactly what the weekly Sabbath does. It frees up one day in seven uh, that we would then uh, have that time of devotion. We can, we can then put that focus upon private worship. You might call it your quiet time or personal devotion, but also as a family. Uh, that you have your family worship, and then the public worship of God. So the, the whole day is in various acts of worship, acts of fellowship, acts of spiritual intimacy uh, with God, as well as having that intimacy, that fellowship with others of like precious faith. That's an important aspect of it when we consider public worship, or even family worship, if you have a family if you only have a spouse, that's still a family. If you have a spouse and children, that's, that's the fuller meaning of the word family. So uh, essentially this, the whole of God's people laying down their tools, putting down their football, taking off their hiking boots, and taking up their Bibles and lifting up their voices in prayer and exalting their hearts up to God. And it's not to be a day of dead religious duty, but it is a day of delight as Isaiah later prophesies. Prophesies. And when would he be prophesying? 14, 50, 14, 50, 1400. 600 years later. 600 years after the giving of the fourth commandment, verbally from the mouth of God, Isaiah says this, maybe 450 years later, 650 years later. He says in Isaiah 58 and verse 13, he says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. So that includes personal entertainment that in and of itself is not sinful. He says, and call the Sabbath a delight. 
the holy of the Lord, the holy day of the Lord, honorable. So there's a number of titles there that we are to give from our heart to the Sabbath day. And shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. And then he continues that they would then be blessed. And that would be in verse 14. It's still a cov- clearly a covenantal sign between God and his people. Um, and that is, that's made known uh, in Exodus, it says, in Exodus 31 and verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant, a covenant that will not be broken. They're, they're the words that were given to, to Abraham also, that this covenant of grace that's revealed to him is a perpetual covenant. There's, there's no end to the, to, to the covenant of grace. There's no end to the, to the gracious working of God in sinners' lives, thank God. It didn't stop when the nation of Israel ceased in AD 70. Else the Great Commission was very short-lived. And what salvation would we personally have? It's a perpetual covenant and sign between the one true living God and His people forever. Now, the dispensationalists will try to to come in here and drive a wedge, as they do, uh, between many things. In this case, between the believing Jew and the believing Gentile. They'll put a wedge in between and say, well, uh, that's that's for the Old Testament uh, believer, not, not, not for the New Testament believer. Where do they get that from? From their own system, because it doesn't say that in the Scriptures. That's their own presumption. That's their own, as I said, their own system and then they say, well, because it, there's a difference, therefore there's a, difference way, a different way in keeping the day. Well, I don't have to devote my heart and my time to God on the Lord's day. Is that not what God wants? Has God's love and desire and passion towards his people cooled in the New Testament? It makes no biblical sense. The scriptures contradict their little system as regards this. Isaiah 56 and verse 6 makes it very, very, very clear. So for Isaiah 58 emphasizes again that the Sabbath is, is a covenant sign between God and his people. So the Jews and God, yes. Isaiah 56 and 6 says this, Also the sons of the stranger, the foreigner, of the nations, of the Gentile, includes us, that join themselves to the Lord, to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and take hold of my covenant. So the covenant relationship that God reveals to his people uh, through the moral law, through the keeping of the, uh, of, of the commandment, um, through the fourth commandment, especially of the Sabbath, is also that which is given to the the Gentile people of God, those that come in. And this is in the time of Isaiah, uh, the evangelical prophet. And so that is a a wonderful truth uh, to be encouraged at. And then when we consider that God desires in his original tension and at creation, he's revealed... In the Old Testament, he reveals again in the New Testament 
and we're coming to the end of our time now. So we've seen something of the background to the Christian Sabbath. We see how it's given. It's given in Eden. It's given before Moses. It's given in Moses. And the promise, as so many other promises, are that it will go towards every nation will be blessed in Abraham, including in the Sabbath keeping of Abraham's uh, people. And so, God, when we, next time we'll look at the beginning of the Christian Sabbath and if we have time, thirdly, the, the being of the eternal Sabbath, because that's what it's all pointing to, uh, ultimately, as well. So, are there any questions at all? Yeah, stunned into silence. Right. Well, far too many. Uh, I trust that an awful lot of the questions will also be answered next week when we get into the, the New Testament Sabbath and understand how that uh, began. Um, but let's close in a word of prayer, please. Our merciful and loving, eternal God, Thou who didst create Sabbath, of a time of resting with Thee and in Thee, arresting from our self-righteous works also, the spiritual aspects are very clear in Hebrews 4. And we thank Thee that there is, therefore, a Sabbath-keeping remaining to the people of God. We thank Thee, Lord, that Thou desirest to spend that time with us, and Thou art jealous of that time, Thou art jealous of our time. Lord, that we would know that rich blessing in Thy presence, that our souls would be revived, that we would be revived by a holy resting all that day. And so, Lord, teach us still further as we continue looking at this in the coming weeks, as Thou art willing to grant that time. And bless us now, as Lord, as we come to the time of public worship this morning. Lord, hear our prayers, forgive our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for your time.